Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Well, tonight the show is different right off the top because we're live in Los Angeles, California. And I tell you what, I've been I've been on a road trip and I've I've driven from Denver, Colorado to Los Angeles, California. And boy howdy, this is a big chunk of real estate, the United States. Yesterday I went to the Grand Canyon. It's in uh, Arizona. It's so big, it might be in other states, but I the part of it I saw was in Arizona. And um it's it's really hard to comprehend. It's it's really hard to take it all in. Grand the Grand Canyon is is absolutely huge. It it is so enormous. If you're if you're an international listener, feel free to Google or do an internet search for the Grand Canyon and look at the pictures. But the pictures won't do it justice, I'll tell you right now. But I I stood there at the the edge of the canyon and there were just so many layers. It was like a, a beautiful canyon at the bottom and it came up and there was a I don't know if I should even try to describe it, but it it's like a, a plateau of sorts. But then there was another canyon on top of it, and another one on top of that, and another one on top of that. And it was it was just it was so vast that um, I couldn't. <laughs> I don't know if comprehend's a word, but I couldn't take it all in. I couldn't. I just I couldn't wrap my noggin around it. It was so vast and beautiful. And the reason I bring that up is it I it's such a good metaphor for the for the human persona, the human genome. On this show we've talked so many times over so many years about the 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 potential, the the variety, the uh, untapped bounty that each one of us is carrying with us. Uh, you might, you could consider it your, I mean, our soul. Uh, you could think of your soul as this vast, multi-dimensional aspect of yourself, and. I've heard many times by many different people that say that the vision that our soul has, we really can't comprehend through our mental mind. The vision of what our life could be is beyond the comprehension of our ego. And our guest tonight, Paul Hoyt, um, we met um I was thinking about this earlier. We met, I, I want to say it was uh, December 2008 at a uh, function called CEO Space, and Bernie Dorman was the founder of that. And he he told me something that stuck in my head, and it and it 
uh, he said that if your soul shows you a picture or a vision of what your life might be, trust that there's a path for that to make uh, to make it happen, to bring it into fruition, to to manifest it, if you will. The when our soul shows us a dream of what our life might be, there is always a path that can bring it about. And as you, the listener, no matter what your condition or circumstance, there's always more to discover about yourself. There's always more to understand about yourself. There's always more for you to express about yourself. We're never stuck. We're never stuck. There's always another moment like now where we can be inspired, where we can bring in a a new idea, a new concept, a new inspiration about our life. And then when we turn around and and uh and nurture that and honor that with our intention and attention and bring it into our actions, then we're we're on the road to manifesting what our soul had in mind perhaps before we were even born. Well, I think we should get to it. Um, Paul and I will have plenty to talk about. So... The topic tonight is Surprises on the Road to Enlightenment, the Wisdom of a Lifetime. And again, our guest is Paul Hoyt. He's been on our show before. It's it's wonderful to have him back. He's written a book, Surprises on the Road to Enlightenment, the Wisdom of a Lifetime. This is a collection of 80 surprising insights Paul has learned throughout his lifetime, the most significant wisdom he has gained on his journey. You probably know a lot of them, but perhaps some of them will surprise you too. Paul Hoyt has been a business consultant and personal coach since 2001. He has led hundreds of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and executives from around the globe through their unique journey of growth and discovery, both personally and professionally. He is as passionate about helping people be the best person they can be as helping them be as successful in business as possible. Paul has been doing his inner work for nearly 60 years and is the author of several inspiring books and the creator of Mind Sequencing, a revolutionary approach to personal development and stress relief. Join me in welcoming Paul to the show. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks so much, Les. It's really great to be with you again. Well, um... So it says you've been doing inner work for nearly 60 years. Are you about done with it? I mean, you know, (laughs) oh, you know, I've prayed 10,000 times to be done with it, you know, to have that 
um, you know, something even greater than a burning bush experience or a road to Damascus experience <laughs> or win the spiritual lottery and have my consciousness, you know, elevated from where it is at that moment to, you know, the sublime divinity and live in cosmic consciousness and one with Jesus and Buddha and all the angels and spirits and connected to all things for all time permanently and completely. But that hasn't happened yet. So <laughs> I continue to work every day to be the best person I can be and be in the highest consciousness that I can possibly be. And so far, the journey continues. <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress, isn't it? <laughs> you know, every every single day, every single day I wake up, and oftentimes in the middle of the night and sometimes, you know, just 30 or 40 minutes before the alarm goes off or before I rise, I wake up just a little bit and I think to myself, oh, boy, I get to lay here for another 15 minutes. I get to lay here for another 45 minutes. I get to lay here for another couple of hours in bliss. And I walk, I do a particular exercise I call the divine ladder. And I figure out where I am, and then I get a little bit higher, a little more loving kindness, a little more peacefulness and calmness, a little more awakened wisdom, and then I take it up a notch, and then I take it up a notch, and then I take it up a notch until I am as high as I can possibly imagine, until I'm, until I'm at my best. And I stay there for as long as I can, and then I get up and start my day. <laughs> well, you know... It seems like we all start the journey to enlightenment from from different places. I mean, sometimes, like myself, I didn't I didn't see myself as spiritual anything. Um, I was about thirty five years old. I was working in TV, a, a father, a, you know, a husband, all that stuff, and I really thought I had a, a good idea of what my life should be and and as silly as that seems my soul had a bigger vision for my life and I got cracked open and um and now 25 probably 30 years later I, it I'm in awe of how I keep unfolding um uh, a a bigger I don't know, a, a bigger, I want to say sense of self, but it's not an ego thing. It's kind of like right. the vastness of my persona, if you will. When when you think of all the different places people start their spiritual journey, I mean, how do you, how do you even put in the context? I mean, you, you, you've been consciously uh, working on this for 60 years. How do you how do you bring the the concept of of what a spiritual journey is? Wow, well I think that means different things to different people. You know, and it, it really depends on your spiritual community and the elders that are around you to help you define what that potential is for yourself. So for some religions, it's, you know, let's take in, in some denominations in the Christian religion, for example, the spiritual journey is, is one of simply asking for forgiveness and being forgiven of your sins and knowing that you are saved 
and for many denominations and many cultures, that's where it ends. You know, there is nothing else, that there's no sense of growth. And that's, that was the culture in which I was raised in my early Christian upbringing. That when I was 14, I, you know, started learning about these other religions, you know, this, that there were Eastern religions and there were other religions, and they focused on continuous growth and improvement instead of just, a, you know, a one-time affair, which, which frankly didn't work very well for me. Um, so the spiritual journey became one of and steady growth over time. Now, when I was 14 and I became aware of this, I thought that I'm such a smart guy. I'm pretty sure that by the time I'm, oh, what, 25, maybe 28, that 28 <laughs> seemed right. Because, you know, that was a, a good, you know, that's kind of a magic number. It's seven times four. You know, that's, that's a good number. I figured if, when I got to be 28 that I would be fully enlightened. You know, a complete master, equivalent of all of the gurus, gurus who ever were, all of the master sorcerers that, and wizards that ever were, that I would be as powerful and wise as any human being had ever been. Um, it didn't quite turn out that way, but that's, <laughs> that's honestly what I thought when I was 14. That was the level of, you know, my consciousness and the level of my insecurity and the level of my arrogance and the lack of knowledge that I had when I began that journey so many years ago. Well, for myself, I don't, I mean, I kind of threw in the towel with ever um, wrapping my noggin around the, the all that is, the, the great divine, so to speak. I, I remember seeing Ram Das in person giving a, a talk, and he, he was in India, uh, looking for his guru and uh, uh the people in the village said he's probably in in the next town and he got a he, he he found a bus and him and his friend were driving along in the bus just the two of them and there were uh uh 25 students walking along the road or something like that and he brings them on the bus and he uh, and gives them a ride and they're coming up to a uh a, a T in the road and one of the students says uh, oh today is the the annual celebration down at the river everyone's gathering today it's really quite a event to see and and it's today if we just turn right we can go and participate in this and Ram Das is sitting in the bus and he's like I've totally got a Hilton with a soft bed and a shower, and that's a left turn. And in that moment, he said, I had no idea what I was going to choose. Wow. He had, he had no idea what he was going to choose. So he gives in to the student. They started driving down to the festival, and holy cow, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> here's the guru. Here's the guru. And, yes. he, and they pull off and they get off the bus and, and the guru says, well, come up the hill. And they walk up the hill to the house and, and the, a woman comes out and says, Master, I've created the 27 dinners you requested this morning. So the guru had known what he was going to choose in that moment. He knew wow. it that morning. 
and he had prepared 27 dinners for him and his friend and the 25 students. I can't even wrap my noggin around that. I'm nowhere near that, you know. It's like... I I concur with you. I'm right there with you, Les. There are people that that, you know, human beings on this planet who are living today and those who are living, you know, thousands of years ago that have an experience that's so different than than mine and from, from the most of us, where their perception is, their their power is well beyond this physical plane. You know, they live in an ethereal world and we're just seeing the physical manifestation of their ethereal souls. Nice, nice. Well, now, um, you've written a book now, Surprises on the Road to Enlightenment, of the show tonight is perhaps a beginner or perhaps they've been at it a while. When we talk about the road to enlightenment, a a lot of times it can uh, involve undoing aspects of ourselves, undoing <laughs> beliefs of ourselves, unraveling. It, it's almost like we're unraveling who we've become so that we might become more than we could have imagined, if you will. What, what, are, some, uh, what are some ideas you have as far as the actual spiritual journey and, and what that can involve? Boy, there are a bunch of them. So (laughs) just a little bit of background here. You know, part of my spiritual practice is, is that whenever I have an insight, whenever I have something comes to me that I think is wise, I try to write it down. You know, I want to capture it. I want to capture that moment so I can go back and facilitate the remembering of that moment and the reliving of that moment in some way. So I have been doing that for for a long time. In fact, earlier today, I was taking a look at some of my early, early writings. And the earliest one I can find was from July 1985. So 1985 was a number of years ago, 28 years ago, I started writing down these little insights, you know, how I was feeling, what I was thinking, what, what my what my next steps I thought might be so I could capture this wisdom and somehow facilitate my journey by capturing the wisdom which had come to me in that moment. I have, I have probably a thousand of them. You know, I've written, I've published five books. I've written seven or eight more books that have not been published yet. Surprises on the Road to Enlightenment is the next one to be published And that's taking a collection of 80 of these insights, the ones that were really surprising to me that I learned, you know, through some kind of divine inspiration that really didn't come from other people, but they were surprising to me. We were talking earlier just a few minutes ago about um, really, you know, you never really know when you're going to find an enlightened person. That is surprise number 11. Surprise number 11 is, if you don't mind, I'm just going to share it with you. 
It says this, sure. I'm often surprised to discover an enlightened, awakened person in a place where I didn't expect it. I expect to find them at a church, a temple, or an ashram. I look for them at spiritual gatherings, and I often find them there. But I've often, also often found them at business events or at the gym and on social media. That enlightened person could be sitting in the cubicle right next to you or at the vegan restaurant or at the barbecue joint or on the other side of the railroad tracks. And you might even find one at a grocery store. That's where I met Smitty, one of the most positive, upbeat, awakened people I've ever met. He was working at the register, and we were both just being our awesome selves. And I look, and now I look forward to shopping every week at that grocery store so that I can see him again. So these days, I look for awakened and enlightened people everywhere, and I find them. Wow, very Who nice. Who knew that? Who knew that? Now, I didn't. That was one of those typical surprises to me. <clears throat> I don't think anybody has ever said that to me before is look for the enlightened people everywhere because you never know where you're going to find them. Right. Well, and and sometimes uh, people act in, in a very awakened way and they're not even conscious of it. I mean, and there's, oh. you know, if you think of the, I mean, a lot of times... Uh, uh, religions will uh, purport a template like there's some kind of a you know if you if you fit this template then you'll find favor with God and I'm like well um, does God go to tattoo parlors do, does God do shots of organic whiskey does <laughs> I mean it's it, that I, I kind of gave up on the idea that there is some some uh, uh rigid structured you know if if we can just make ourselves fully in line with righteousness and we abandon wrongness and i said mm -hmm. wrongness to to show a point it's uh i I don't really see a template for it. it it's more, it, to me, it seems like more of an open heart and a humble mind. I think you nailed it. I think that each and every one of us have our own path. We have our own journey. And, and I can share what things I've learned and what experiences I've had on my path with you. And you take whatever works well for you, whatever is meaningful for you, and and allow that to you know to help you on your journey but everybody walks this road by themselves some people you know have very disciplined paths and they decide that their path is to follow you know a step one two three four five six seven of somebody else's path that they have given them and that's what serves them well other people you know don't want anybody to tell them what to do whatsoever they just have to scramble and find their own way up up the mountain. But I think in the end, as the people we as we look back at our lives, everybody's life has a little bit different. We all learned a lot of the same lessons, but maybe some of the different lessons, and certainly we learned lessons in different sequences. So at any given time, a four year old child, a twelve year old child, a thirty year old woman, you know, a forty year old man 
may have learned a piece of wisdom that I have yet to learn. Um, and so listening for that, looking for that, trying to draw that out of them, encouraging them to be as loving and wise and awakened as possible, allows us to learn those lessons from the people that we encounter, oftentimes from the people that, for, from whom we would least expect it. Nice. Well, you've, you've written a book about 80 surprises. Can you share some of your favorites of that book? Oh, goodness, yeah, I'll share. Uh, why don't you, how, how about let's play a little game. Well, I'm okay. going to share the last one as the last one, your surprise number 80, because that's the one that made that brought the book to an end to me. But in between now and then, um, just pick a number between 1 and 80, and we'll, we'll take a look at it. Uh, 61. All right, 61. Let me get down to 61 here. We need a, a drum roll. Mm, 61 is on reincarnation. Interesting. This is a big one. I'm reading it now. This is a big one. It doesn't make sense to scientists and engineers and a lot of other people, but I was very surprised to be convinced that reincarnation is true, or at least the best explanation for a collection of miraculous phenomenon. What convinced me was the story of James Leininger, as recounted in a book about his phenomenal experiences called Soul Survivor, soul spelled S-O-U-L, Little James started having memories of a previous life as a fighter pilot when he was two and a half years old, and it's an amazing story. Dr. Jim Tucker, a psychiatrist at the University of Virginia, is the author of a book called Life Before Life, a Scientific Investigation of Children's Memories of Previous Lives, which recounts over four decades of research into these types of childhood memories, which simply could not have been influenced by any current life experience, and that was the icing on the cake for me. And believing in reincarnation opens up a lot of other possibilities, like reading the Akashic Records, life contracts, and so much more. So reincarnation, to me, isn't the end of the story. It's just a doorway, an example of a greater truth. That was stunning to me, because I've always heard of reincarnation and yeah, we all know what that is, and people go, oh, yeah, okay, that's an interesting story. That can't possibly be, until I really explored it, until I read that book about James Lineker, until I understood the, the writings of, of Dr. Tucker. And to me, I, I know beyond a, a shadow of a doubt that there are experiences that are typical, that are just unexplainable and inexplicable by any other terms. Huge surprise. Good choice. Well, it uh, it it kind of cha- <laughs> it kind of changes uh, your relationship with life. I mean, the, the notion of of I mean, because I I grew up in a, a staunch Christian household, and and when you're done with this rodeo, God's gonna do a thumbs up or thumbs down, and and you're either gonna burn in hell or live in paradise forever and and the idea and 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 it was based on the judgment of a single lifetime and yep 
to it, it, to free yourself from that is not necessarily an easy task, especially if it was uh, an indoctrination that was there from the beginning. It 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 can really uh, t- take a burden off your shoulders, so to speak, as far as how this lifetime goes. Well said. I could not have said it better better myself. It, it is a very freeing thing to realize that that is a possibility. I mean, there are lots of questions that come up for me, like, does everyone get reincarnated? You know, is this my life number two, or is this life 200 for me? And how many more lifetimes will I have to live before I reach that ultimate consciousness? You know, there's all kinds of questions that come on the other end of it. And maybe, maybe it's true that some people just live a single lifetime. And if in their, in their mind, if in their imagination, that they believe strongly enough that when they pass from this lifetime, that it either will be heaven or hell, maybe that's what they experience. I don't know. What, what I know is that, you know, it's certainly true for some people some of the time. We, t- we talked about that very thing. I think it was the last show with... Uh... Isabella Green, where your expectation of what you'll find on the other side when you pass literally creates what you find on the other side when you pass. But I I like this popcorn thing where we where I pick a number in and uh, it's it sets a topic. I mean, if I had a dartboard here, uh, twenty seven has popped in my mind a couple of times and. Well, let's, let's go see what, see what that happens happens with 27. Complacency. The challenge of complacency. Oh, my goodness gracious. You know, after I was successful in re- reducing my fear, I was surprised to run into the challenge of complacency. It's absolutely been one of the toughest challenges on my journey to enlightenment. I discovered that once I escaped the dangers of the jungle, and I found safety in my little cave that I didn't have a burning desire to grow anymore. I was safe and I was good. (laughs) But staying in the cave was never going to help me make more progress. So, you know, after a while, I developed this little mantra to help me overcome the complacency. It goes like this. It is easy for me now to overcome my complacency. All I have to do is remember that I am safest, strongest, healthiest, and happiness, happiest when I am in the spirit and talking to others about the spirit, and that awakening, returning, and focusing on spirit are by far the smartest things that I can possibly do. Wow, very so, nice. I, you know, being, being comfortable is really, really great. Today, almost every day when I wake up, I, I walk this divine ladder. You know, I find, I get myself to a point where I'm comfortable, and then I move up to being excellent, and then I move up to being awesome, and then I move up to divinity as I have come to know it. But after a while now, I think I've kind of overcome the challenge of complacency, and I don't settle for less near as often as I used to. Right. For myself, when my 
inspiration told me to write a book, my ego argued with my heart for like six years. Write a book? Oh, hell no. Uh, you know, write a book? <laughs> oh, oh, please. Are you kidding me? And now I've, I've really uh, spent a lot of time um, teaching my ego to, to chill and stand down that it's my ego is not there to vet inspiration my ego is there to fulfill inspiration and and to to recognize when a new idea or a new concept comes into my consciousness from my inspiration to like like uh your habit of writing things down it's like mm-hmm. When when I get new inspiration in my life, that's there to expand who I am as a person, and I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't want to <clears throat> miss a thing, and it's really, I don't want any complacency. I want to ex- grow and expand throughout the the my entire life. So I I really appreciate that. All right. Your turn. You pick a number. <laughs> oh, let's see. Let me see. If I, should I cheat and go to the to table of contents here? Oh, no, no, no. There's no cheating in the road to enlightenment. Uh, then I'm just going to pick uh, 44. I don't know what 44 is. I just picked that number out of the thin air, and I have no idea why, but let's go. Ah, uh, number 44 entitled The Person We Can Become. I was surprised to finally learn that there is this incredibly beautiful person inside of everybody, shielded and disguised by layers of fear. In my earlier days, I only saw people for who they were in that moment, and I didn't really see their potential. I'm sure that was because I didn't really see my own potential either. Sure, I knew that I could go to college and get a good job and earn some money and buy a house and so on. I saw what I could do and what I could have, but I never really saw the person that I could become. Now, I see that each of us has a radiant angel inside, trying to both wake up and stay safe. This angel is filled with peace and joy and strength and wisdom and love. This angel is confident, playful, powerful, and free. And the angel in you wants to come out and play with the angel in me. Coming to know this makes a world of difference. Very nice. Very nice. (laughs) Well, the, the person... Um, yeah, I think about the the slaves in Egypt. I know that that sentence sounds like, "Oh, where the hell is he going with that?" So, <laughs> so, so the slaves prayed to God with a big G, going, "You know, this suffering stinks. Uh, come save our our butts." You know, the the, the slaves pray to God for salvation, the end of suffering, the end of slavery. And couldn't a, couldn't God just take the Pharaoh's brain and crack it open and flip the switch to, you know, 
a bad guy to good guy and and screw the cap back on i mean in other it it took flesh and bones it took a human being that surrendered his will to the divine idea of who he might become and through that process the the path that most us took was far beyond what he could have comprehended because he surrendered his will to the divine idea the divine will of his life so we look at the karmic tsunami that's unfolding now on planet earth and everybody's praying for um a more authentic story a more authentic narrative for humanity and it's not like god's gonna just you know pull the sky apart and reach his 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 hand over our shoulder and and steer humanity it's it's never worked that way God with a big G will not strong arm the destiny of humanity. But if we take our human persona through the love and compassion for humanity, we can become the vehicle of the divine. And when we do that, we crack open a portal to a life that's incomprehensible to who we would have been otherwise. Boy, that is that is so so true. That a huge part of gaining higher consciousness is that surrender. I call it divine surrender, where you where you surrender all of your fears, all of your doubts, everything that bothers you, all of the shadow energy. Surrender who you think that you are. Surrender all of your limiting beliefs. Surrender everything to divine consciousness and allow that to pour into you and fill you so that you can share it with other people. That divine surrender is is one of my very, very favorite portals, one of my very favorite energies. I I concur. It's it's like uh, um, I I <laughs> I don't want to miss a thing. I want to say yes to everything. Um, and and I'm just I'm really I'm very excited for my life because I've seen so much expansion just in the last few years. Well, uh, all right. Um, do you want to pick another one, or shall I? I think you should. You are the host. I think it's your privilege. All right. Um, uh, 67. 67. Is lessons are learned in different sequences? We, we talked on this a little bit earlier. But the journey to enlightenment isn't like a course where you take lesson one, then lesson two, then lesson three, and so on in a predictable and regimented manner. Surprise, everyone learns at their own pace and in their own sequence. So a message that doesn't mean anything to me today might be the perfect message for somebody else. A teacher who isn't for me in this moment might be the perfect teacher for someone else. We learn when we are ready. 
And I wonder if all of the lessons aren't available to us all of the time, especially now in the age of the Internet, and we just learn the one that we are ready to learn in that moment. And here's an amazing thing about that. It means that practically anyone we know may know something that I don't know or that they can at least remind me of a lesson that I have forgotten. And it means that practically anyone and anything can be my teacher. And that includes children and birds and dogs and bugs. It means that everyone is here to teach me a lesson. They are all here to help me gain wisdom, either by showing me what to do or by showing me what not to do. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. Well, that goes hand in hand with what we were talking about the other day about humility to to be humble uh, of who you're talking to and not put them in a box or, or or think that you know what they have to offer you, but to be humble and just just be present and and through that humility. Um, it it really affords you the ability to um, uh, perhaps optimize the interaction because you're through humility you're able to receive something that uh, you might have otherwise uh, discounted through the judgment of your mind if that makes sense. Amen, and uh, that brings me to one of. Yeah, another surprise that I'm sure is somewhere in this book, and that is that humility and confidence <laughs> you go wrote hand it. in hand. Yeah, well, you know, I don't remember all 80 of these all at exactly the same time. You know, <laughs> I write them down so I can review them and remember them. You know, there's a few of them I remember almost all the time, but some of them, you know, I need to be reminded of. But I don't know any person that I would consider to be a wise person who is not also a humble person. Because this journey of figuring out who we are, this journey of realizing these concepts and belief systems that we developed when we were two and four and six years old, and how we, be, how we, how we come to know the truth, how we become to know the things that we think that we know, and then how we come to discover that we are wrong, or perhaps not completely right about some things. And then we have the humility to let that go and say, oh man, there's more evidence here. My conclusion isn't right because the facts and the evidence have changed. Is a very, very humbling journey. So if you see somebody who's pompous and arrogant, I think you can be pretty sure that that person is not also a wise person. Because wise people, people are Wise people, people of higher consciousness, people like you, Les, people like I am when I'm at my best, you know, are not arrogant, pompous people. We're humble, kind, and loving people. We're gentle people. We're peaceful people. We're awakened people. Well, sometimes I stir the pot up pretty pretty hard. <laughs> I'm, I, I like to... Uh, one of my favorite habits is to flip everything over, just to flip the whole narrative to the other side and see, you know, it's like um, 
uh, I don't know off the top of my head. If uh, if we live in a culture where money decides everything, what would a culture look like if money decided nothing? In, in other words, m- money wasn't even in our vernacular. And it, it, when you flip things over, stir the pot, so to speak, or sometimes I call it getting out in the weeds, is is to look at something with virgin eyes look at a, a a different narrative or a different structure cuz so often we can um especially in our society we'll have these um institutionalized mindsets that don't really serve us and if we if we can't see beyond that we're bound by it and and mm-hmm. to be bound by something is not um a a divine i mean e- evolution is about transcending um constructs that inhibit our ability to express our our true potential if that makes sense it does it absolutely oh, does damn it. So this this journey is full of surprises, that is for sure. And Les, by the way, it's hard for me to imagine you as being a truly angry and bitter and cruel person. You know, I, I know you as as a loving and kind and wise and and cheerful person. You know, I I'll, I will grant you that that you may still have, you know, a leg or two on your spiritual journey to walk yet, but. Um, when you get when you get filled with higher consciousness and filled with love and light, those angry moments, those bitter moments, are extremely rare, and they don't last more than just a few seconds, and then we get over them and you know return to being the angel within. Well, I didn't I didn't mean ang- uh, angry as much as looking at a. A construct that has been accepted as normal, and then to flip it over, uh, uh, I, I'm sure there's another word for that. But let's try another one out of out of your book. Uh, how okay, about we'll you try, pick the number? Well, in a, in a minute, I want to try the last one, and then we're okay. actually. Why don't we just go there now? Because you know, I, I've been writing this book for like four or five years. And finally, just a few months ago, I came to the last one. And this is number 80, and it's called Enlightenment is Easy. Perhaps my final surprise is the best one of all. I woke up one morning to find that enlightenment is easy, that it's easy to be awakened. It's easy to be cheerful. It's easy to be strong. It's easy to be wise. It's easy to surrender. And it's easy to love. And my wish for you, my wish for everyone, is that you will practice being at your best. Practice your awakening day after day, moment by moment, until enlightenment becomes easy for you too. When you keep it up, it will be. Well, very nice. Um, well, how about I flip that over? <laughs> um, what uh, what what does enlightenment 
not do for you? In other words, um, if if I'm struggling with my life and I think uh, when I get to the big E, um, I'll, um, I won't have these problems, is there's is there an idea of enlightenment that is false that is um um because sometimes we can think that enlightenment just wipes the slate clean and and um all um everything is resolved um but but what does enlightenment not do for us well, first of all, I don't consider myself to be completely enlightened. As I like to say, I'm pretty convinced that I'm partially enlightened some of the time. But <laughs> that leaves that's fair a enough. lot of that's that seems fair enough to me too. But I'm not like you know the guru that ordered the 27 dinners because he knew the people were coming. I'm not like the gurus that you know can heal people across the the thousands of miles and perhaps even across time you know with 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 a single thought so there is this level of enlightenment this level of connectedness to the oneness the merger into the to the into divinity that i have yet to experience in its totality i think i touch it every now and then Every now and then I feel that incredible connectedness. And more and more often these days I feel, you know, divine love for everything that is and everything that was and everything that will be. But I haven't reached that point to where I would say that I am completely 100% enlightenment. The journey continues for me. So, so far, enlightenment for me, what, what, portion of enlightenment that I have come to enjoy the experience of means that I still have physical pain from time to time. You know, I still pull a muscle or stub my toe or hit my thumb with a hammer, you know, and it hurts for a little bit, but it didn't hurt as long as it used to or as I remember it hurting when I was younger. Um, You know, I still get uh, ill from time to time. I still get hungry. I still get tired. There are a lot of things relative to the physical experience of being a human that my level of enlightenment has not eliminated yet. But, but on the other hand, you know, to be filled with peace, to be filled with joy, to be filled with strength, to be filled with wisdom, and to be filled with joyous love and light and wanting to share that with everybody you know, that's the blessing of the journey so far. Very nice. Well, we've, we've got some time left. I want to turn the light on you. Now, you've got an interesting history because you have such a, a, a profound um, experience with the business side of things. And you also have this spiritual component. Can you share with our audience um, your history with business and spirituality? Yeah, I, I certainly can. So I started programming computers 
um, you know, when I was 19 years old in 1970, you know, a long, long time ago. I'd started on my spiritual journey, you know, six years or so before that. Um, but I started working with computers in 1970. For the next 30 years, I worked in the information systems industry as a programmer, a systems analyst, a department manager, a CIO, a VP of professional services, you know, managing projects that were you know, tens of millions of dollars and had 100 people on the project team, etc. Then in 2001, I switched careers and became a business consultant. So for the last you know, more than 20 years, I've worked with hundreds of business owners and trained thousands of more, more of them, helping them develop and develop their strategic plans. At first, I was just helping them write business plans, develop growth strategies, develop financial projections, etc. Then I came to realize that, wait a minute, they need help actually executing the plans that I, that I had helped them create. So I became a business coach. And then I realized that people were having some personal blocks, that they were, they were being afraid of doing that thing, which we all knew that they should do. You know, hire this person, take this chance, fire this person, launch this new product. And so I started melding more of my personal coaching into my business consulting and coaching relationships. And at some point in time, about, I guess, maybe 15 years ago, I found the intersection between these two paths, that they were not parallel anymore, that they were intersected. And the place that they intersected is in the area of soft skills and emotional intelligence. So emotional intelligence is the typical four-quadrant model of emotional intelligence says that it consists of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And it is that self-awareness that, that leads us into having self-management skills that gives us greater empathy and compassion and social awareness that allows us to have the great relationships that allows us to sell products, to lead teams, to start companies more and more successful. Emotional intelligence is critical and essential to business success, as are soft skills. Those soft skills are cooperating, collaborating with other people, being able to negotiate with other people, you know, utilizing the talent that's around you. And that's the intersection between those two. Emotional intelligence and soft skills is the intersection between businesses and that inner journey, that journey of personal growth. So now when I wow. talk to business owners – it's, it's all about, you know, let's not only focus on the strategy, on where you want to go from a numbers and a products and, a, you know, the hard skills and the technical skills, but let's also focus on the, tough, the soft skills so you can become the best person that you can be so that you can have the best business consult, business success that you have. And um, I have a quote that I made up, and I'll paraphrase a little bit to you, for you, but it goes like this. I've learned a lot about business from the work that I've done from others. I've made a lot of money. I've made a lot of friends. And, oh, my goodness, have I learned so many of the hard skills. But all of my peace and love, all of my health and happiness has come from the work that I've done for myself, on myself. And all of my business breakthroughs have been preceded by a personal, a personal breakthrough of some kind. 
So it's those blocks that we have, this belief that we can't do this, we shouldn't do that, we can't take this chance, you know, we can't do the things that we want to do, this these, these limiting beliefs that we have to overcome through our personal growth, through our personal work, our inner work, that facilitate our success in every area of our life. Very well spoken. Very nice. Well, now you've got the mind sequencing platform as well. Why don't you tell us about your books, about mind sequencing, uh, and um, any other thing you want to share with our audience? I'll I'll focus on mind sequencing for just a little bit. So about about 10 or 15 years ago, I had a real breakthrough in the way that I began to leverage the power of my inner voice, that I began to discover that I could think particular thoughts that really lifted my energy. I remember the day that that happened, I was sitting in, excuse me, <clears throat> sitting in a little bit of a quiet place, and I came across the word jubilation. And jubilate, when I, when I said that word to myself, silently, I felt this energetic shift. It was like, you know, like taking a bite of an ice cream cone or something. There was an energetic shift with that word. And I wondered, wow, are there other words that are powerful too? So I began to look at the synonyms of jubilation and then the synonyms of those words until I came up with a list of 2,497 words that carried positive energy for me. And I began to use them in combination with each other. So when I was feeling a little lack of confidence, I would talk about courage, daring, bravery, and boldness. And then later on, courage, daring, bravery, boldness, gumption, spunk, and pluck. And I realized that I could take these combinations, these synonyms of energies, and just repeat them to myself often enough with enough energetic focus that it would lift my spirits. Then one day I was out walking my dog, and I was trying to get back into a state, but it just wasn't working. And I, had, and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, there's, there's got to be a way that I can do that again. What do I have to do first? Well, first I had to... You know, I have to see that there's a gap, and then I have to believe that I can close that gap, and I'll feel better when I do, and then I have to choose to invest the time, and then I can shift, and then I can become. And that became my first sequence, which I call the golden sequence. I see, I believe, I choose, I shift, I am. I see, I believe, I choose, I shift, I am. And so I begin to learn the power of not just energetic focus, but energetic progression, that sequences of thought and action worked far better for me, were far more powerful than just focusing on a particular mantra or an energy. And I have developed hundreds of them, hundreds of different little sequences of poems and songs that allow me to shift from one state to another state of being you know, in a regimented manner, in a step one, step two, step three, step four. I package that all into my program called Mind Sequencing. So Mind Sequencing is uh, is a course that people can take. They can take it at their own pace and learn at their own time. We also have master classes and cohorts available and also private coaching. If you want to really learn the power of focused thought, then you learn the mind sequencing mantra, which goes like this. I awaken and remember the amazing power I have to focus my attention, shift my energy, and lift my spirits anytime and anywhere. 
I remember the amazing power I have to think the thoughts I want to think so I can feel the way I want to feel and be the person that I want to be anytime and anywhere. And that's what we teach in the Mind Sequencing program. So you can learn a lot more just by going to mindsequencing.com. You can send me an email, if you like, to paul at mindsequencing.com. If you have a business, is something you want to talk about at business, a better business address is just paul at paulhoyt.com. And I will do everything I can to help you achieve the business success that you want and, to, more importantly to me, to be the person that you want to be. Very well spoken. Well, Paul, I want to thank you for being our guest on the show. I have thoroughly enjoyed this time. I have too. Les, you are one of my very favorite human beings on the planet. For all you listeners out there, Les was one of the very first person, a guy who told me that he loved me. When he got cracked open, he started this habit which I have come to embrace for myself and that is to just say love you all the time, as many times as you can throughout the day, to spread that love and light to other people. So Les, you taught me that lesson. You were my teacher for that one, and for that I honor you and bless you, and yes, indeed, I love you. Well, I love you too. Thank you for the kind words. We've been talking with Paul Hoyt, and the topic tonight is the topic of his latest book, Surprises on the Road to Enlightenment, The Wisdom of a Lifetime. You know, the, the topic of emotions came up a few times tonight. And I want to just share some of my uh, uh, experiences with emotions that kind of flip, flipped it all over. It, it turned everything over. Um, I've shared many times on this show that when I got cracked open, it was a very specific event. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know my life was about to change. And um, the event was this immense amount of emotion came pouring out of my body. A, a very large amount of emotional energy came pouring out of my psyche like a volcano or a raging river. And that emotion was anger, and it was related to my family of origin. So it happened on a, a shrink's couch. He put out his hand. And he said, Les, come on. We've talked about it for a while now. I know you're not you're a joyful, light-hearted guy, but I I have to think that you've got you've got anger in you. And he put out his hand. He said, "Come on, push up my hand. Show me your anger." And uh, how do you, when I when I finally so, some magical valve opened up in my psyche in that moment, my whole life changed. Some magical valve opened and an immense amount of anger comes pouring out of my psyche. And I'm, I'm startled. I'm like, what the hell is this? And I remember kind of like asking the anger, I'm like, who the hell are you? And the anger's like, I don't care. Think of me what you will. And I tell you, I've had so much reflection in that moment. So the emotion itself the emotion itself has no motive, no agenda, 
no pre-described reaction? Had I been triggered, had that anger been triggered in me and I vented it out to somebody, in other words, I was filled with anger about something outside of me, it would have been a 100% different experience. But the anger itself did not decide. The anger itself did decide, nor did it care how I experienced it. And it turned out 100%, 100% of our issues with emotions have nothing to do with the emotions themselves. The emotions themselves are indifferent and impersonal. Well, wait a minute. Uh, I know lots of people with emotional problems. Sure, no problem. Got that. Understood. They have emotional problems, but their problems aren't with their emotions. The emotions are inert. The emotions are indifferent. The problems we have with our emotions are 100% in the mind. The Buddha said, all suffering is a product of the mind. So when we feel an emotion come up in our psyche and we get triggered, 100% of that trigger is a mental memory of the feeling of what was happening in front of us. So say, I'm just gonna make this up. Uh, Dad beat the crap out of mom every night because he was drunk. And when his anger came up, uh, well, I don't, uh, I just said my household had issues with anger. I'm not talking about my dad beat my mom up. That didn't happen physically. The But what I'm getting at is, so when the feeling, when the feeling of anger came up, you could see on your mother's face the pain, the suffering she was going through, and that memory gets associated with the emotion. The emotion itself does not carry it. The emotion itself is indifferent but it's our mind that creates a a reactive pattern over time based on a mental memory, a mental discomfort. And and we we sear it into our psyche as the default go-to reactive pattern. So if you think of the, the idea of anger, there's a, there's hundreds of thousands of different ways different people on the planet can experience anger. Because anger itself has no disposition, we can mentally assign, we can mentally associate a whole collage of different circumstances, conditions, and experiences that we don't prefer. And so when we feel that anger, we have a very unique, our own personal unique memory reaction consequence 
to the emotion of anger, but yet anger had nothing to do with that. The the feeling of anger was indifferent, but we assigned the emotions are impersonal. They're like an echo. If I go to an echo canyon and I shout out hello, the hello coming back is impersonal. My thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and attitudes are the energy that I put out into the the universe. And what comes back is an emotional response. So the so when I feel emotions in the moment, I'm getting an impersonal energetic scorecard, a vibrational scorecard based on the emotional components of how I feel based on my thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and attitudes bumping up against, quote, reality, unquote. And so we all have our own unique association with an impersonal emotion. The emotions themselves don't do any of it. When that anger was leaving my body, I'm like, what the hell? And the anger was like, I don't care. Think of me what you will. Assign me whatever uh, association you want to do. So the emotions we feel as we go through our our day is a scorecard of how congruent or incongruent our thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and attitudes are as it relates to, quote, reality, unquote. Um, It's always a pleasure. I'm so glad to have Paul back on the show. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you, the audience. Um, You can't exhaust your potential. You, the listener, you you can't exhaust your potential. You just can't. Um, dream your best dream. That dream is your soul trying to inspire you. What a what a fun episode! I'm I'm so delighted. Th- thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a New Human Living broadcast. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Let me ask you a question. How many times during today, this day, has your heart and soul had direct communication with you? Our egos, left unchecked, will easily consume all of our thoughts and consciousness as we go throughout the day, where we really are living an ego-led life. But our ego cannot even comprehend the vision our soul has for us. If you want to increase your personal power, make space throughout your day for your heart and soul to inspire you. Citizen King, The New Age of Power is a book I wrote just for that. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening.